0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Israel complains in the wilderness. Do not miss how utterly wicked this truly is. God had rescued Israel after they were in Egypt for over 400 years. They had become slaves in Egypt with many signs and wonders. God had redeemed them and made them his own. And in the process, he humiliated Egypt and their pathetic gods. In our Old Testament reading, which happens immediately after the miraculous Red Sea crossing, they are in the wilderness and they show their discontentment with God. They show their lack of faith in his provision. How? By that very complaining and grumbling. They had the perfect king, the good and gracious God, provided for all their needs of both body and soul, and yet, it was not enough for them. Instead, they were ruled by their stomachs. They longed for the slavery of Egypt, foolishly believing that life was better there because they had more food options. And even when God rains down quail and manna from heaven, they still doubt his goodness, they doubt his provision. So many of them gather more manna than they're supposed to. And he gets worms and stinks by morning. All because they did not trust him. Because they doubted that he would provide for all their needs of body and soul. Fast forward 1,400 years later, and we're in our gospel reading. And Israel is once again in the wilderness. Now they follow Jesus, hoping to see some more miracles. It's late in the evening, and there are more than 10,000 people gathered there. Some estimates put it about 15,000 to be the population of Archuleta County. Just give you an idea of how many people are here gathered. There's nothing to eat and nowhere to get it. They're in the middle of nowhere, and perhaps it's even in the very place where Jesus refused to make bread for himself. Andrew, though, finds a boy with five barley loaves and two fish, barely enough for one family to eat. But this is the Good Shepherd of Psalm 23, and he makes a table for his own. Jesus provides bread for this large crowd. The miracle proves his divinity. And more than that, shows his ongoing creative power, his divine providence, and his care for his people. The miracle shows that he's not the distant deist God who pays no attention or the wimpy God of the evolutionists who leaves progress up to processes of decay and death and chance. This miracle is also fulfillment of Ezekiel 34. It's even why they're, they're on a mountain. Ezekiel 34 says, for thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As the shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. That I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines, and all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I'll bring back the strayed, and I'll bind up the injured, and I'll strengthen the weak. This is exactly what Jesus is doing here. He's gathering his sheep. He's feeding and providing for them. And he even cares and tends for their most basic need, food for their bellies. The people eat to their fill, and they're completely satisfied. There's even 12 baskets left over, showing that he could have kept going had he wanted to, if they needed it. He is showing that he is the Lord and Savior who can take care of their every need. He provides for them and they will not lack a thing. Now, as I said, the crowds had followed Jesus because of the miracles. They wanted to see more. They would grown a little discontent with what they had seen and they wanted more. They wanted him to perform for them. He feeds them and they realize that he is the prophet that Moses had talked about, but they want to take him and make him a bread king. That is, a king would fill their bellies and satisfy their wants, their desires. They wanted to control him. They wanted him to perform for them kind of like a genie. They were only seeking the earthly benefits from Jesus. They had no concern for their own spiritual well-being. They were no different from their ancestors. Here they are in the wilderness again, complaining and grumbling, that Jesus will not perform for them like they want him to. Well, how do people today use Jesus in this way? How do they treat him like a bread king, like a genie, even among Christians? How often do people seek only earthly temporal benefits from Jesus without any care or concern for the best gifts that he actually wants to give? Or any care at all for what his word actually says? They want what Jesus can do, and they think, if I just jump through some religious hoops, if I do my part, he has to give me what I want. Quite frankly, I've seen this over and over again, people who treat Jesus that way. What happens is, when they get what they want, or what they think they want, then things are going well and they fall out of church for a while. Things get bad and they come back, repeating the same kind of cycle. Think about how many people look at their lives and they boil all their problems down to one. A lack of money. They think, if only God would give me more money, that would solve all of my problems. You must repent of this way of thinking in whatever form has crept into your hearts and lives. Consider how often you go through your daily life and never notice all the thousands upon thousands of blessings that God has blessed you with, that he's bestowed upon you. And instead, you are discontent. You are ungrateful, grumbling and complaining about what you do have and what you do not have, looking around at everyone else and coveting whatever it is that you do not have and think that you deserve, telling God that what he's provided is just not enough, essentially telling God that he doesn't really care for you unless he gives you what you want. Paul tells us that we must learn to not be like the Israelites in the wilderness, First Corinthians 10, he says, We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Instead, Paul says, we must repent of doing these things. Elsewhere, Paul says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life. So in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Now, it's absolutely true that God does provide for your physical needs. All of it's out of his Father, divine goodness and mercy, without any merit or worthiness in you. As we've heard, the promise is that we do not often realize this. And so in that small catechism on the fourth petition, give us this day our daily bread... When we ask, what does this mean? We confess. God certainly gives daily bread to everyone without our prayers. But we pray in this petition that God would lead us to realize this, to receive our daily bread with thanksgiving. And to help us with this, the Catechism gives us some prayers for before and after meals to give us a proper mindset so that we can learn to see all the gifts God is giving us. And so before the meal, you're to pray, the eyes of all look to you, O Lord, you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. And then after eating, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. He gives food to every creature. He provides food for the cattle and for the young ravens when they call. His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor is delight in the legs of man. The Lord delights in those who fear him Who put their hope in his unfailing love. I mean, Luther does this because he knows that the liturgy trains us. It trains us as we pray these things to properly see God's gifts for what they are and whom they come from. And so in the Lord's Prayer, you not only pray for the forgiveness of your sins, but also for daily bread and food, which means you confess that not only can you not, not, can you not make payment for your sin, but also that you're unable to le- earn your daily breads. Instead, you must beg and petition God's mercy for both the forgiveness of sins and daily bread. You're saying you're unable to earn it apart from Christ and what he gives you. Of course, it's the only place we find such grace and mercy. It's only in and through Christ. So then, just as you ask for and obtain forgiveness of sins through Christ, so also you obtain your daily bread. All of the things God provides for you only through him. So that everything you have is ultimately and only a gift that flows from our crucified Lord. When you learn that, when you know that, then you can be content. So Paul in 1 Timothy 6 says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, as certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. And, to any, and, and to many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith and their greediness, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. What happens then too when you're content is that you're able to give generously, according to what you're able, because you know who provides it, and he's going to keep providing for you. Now last week I... Ask you to ask yourself a question to see if you struggle with any kind of idolatry in regard to what we're talking about. I have a different question this week. The question is, when you're done providing for your basic needs, where does all of your money go? When you trust in God, it shows itself in generous giving. That includes your tithe. That is the money you give to church. It includes supporting our biggest ministries, the school and LMCM. And it shows itself in how we love and care for those that God brings in your path that is your neighbor. And this giving is pleasing in our Lord's sight. Because it's done out of faith, faith that God will provide, knowing that God is one who provides all things. Now, as an aside, it's something I mentioned in Bible study, because of what we're talking about. We also have to be aware of a flip side to that and avoid a kind of pietism about money that kind of looks down our nose at people that have money or that have invested wisely, or that are able to provide large sums of money to provide for workers and families. And we start to judge them and think because they have money, they must not be generous. Whenever we talk about these things, we should not do that. We don't know what they're giving. Whenever we're talking about giving, we should always look at ourselves first, worry about ourselves and not begrudge them. Because wise investing, doing what they're doing with their wealth, can also be a God-pleasing thing. God is working through you to bless and care for your church and your neighbors. And through those things, too, he's teaching you to be content. Now, obviously, Jesus cares for us physically. We we see that clearly here. But he did not come just to care for you physically. But caring for you physically, the way we see here in our text, gives you a picture of how he cares for you spiritually. You're utterly dependent on him, not only because you're a creature but also because you are a sinner. We hear in Genesis, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Sin makes work difficult. It makes getting your bread, your food, your provisions difficult. Sin makes you abuse and misuse God's gifts. Sin causes you to worry, to doubt, to be discontent, to complain and grumble. So it also makes it so you do not naturally see your need for spiritual food. When you get hungry for food, your body lets you know. There's no question about it. You know that you are hungry. In fact, if we ask some of your family members, some of you get quite moody and cranky when you are hungry, and everybody knows that you are in fact hungry. But your bodies do not naturally remind you when you have gone without God's word. You don't get a physical pain in your body when you've gone without God's word. When you've gone without praying, that is only given through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Sin keeps you from seeing what your true needs are. And because of your sins, you deserve to be left in the wilderness to die. But Jesus comes to you in the wilderness and says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, as we heard on the first Sunday in Lent. It is God's word that sustains you, both physically and spiritually. Your sin must be dealt with, and you must be provided for both physically and spiritually. And it's his word that does it. And because you're a sinner, you do need a bread king. You need a provider, but not the way Israelites thought they could make Jesus a bread king. So it is the very word of God takes on flesh, and even for you becomes the very bread of life. But you don't look to him solely for material benefits. Because you know he wants to give you so much more. That's why Christ departs when they try to come and make him the kind of king that they wanted. They wanted an earthly reign. But Jesus came to suffer and die and give them so much more. As we heard last week, his kingdom is in righteousness and peace and the Holy Spirit. Elsewhere, Jesus tells us, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. anyone eats of this bread he will live forever and the bread that i will give for the life of the world is my flesh you deserve to die of hunger both physical and spiritual and yet jesus offers himself as a sacrifice for all your sins so you may not die but live so that your lord alone is the bread to you that is satisfying it's solid sustaining it's living and life-giving so that when you feed upon him when you have faith in him And all that he is and all that he does, then you shall not want, you shall not lack a thing. It's interesting because he didn't eat when he was tempted by the devil, but in the desert he eats bread with sinners and provides for all of their and your needs. In fact, this morning the Lord loves, welcomes, and feeds, and even eats with sinners here at his table. And there, with his very body and blood, is the forgiveness for your discontentment, for your grumbling and complaining. And there is all that you truly need for your bodies and your souls. He is the Messiah of Ezekiel 34. He is God himself in the flesh, caring for you as your good shepherd. He is the one greater than Joseph, who provided bread for a nation, and yet Christ gives his very flesh for the life of the world's. He is truly a bread king, but in ways that far surpass anything you could think or imagine. And when you know this, when you believe this, when this rules your hearts, then the fear of losing what is earthly is puny in comparison to the joy that you receive from His gifts, from hearing His gospel, and even in loving your neighbor. When you trust in the Lord, when you trust in the Lord, you are immovable, as we sang, Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved. Christ is, indeed, the true bread king, who takes care of you in body and soul. And if you look back, you can see this throughout your entire life. And he comes this morning and feeds you with the very best pasture, his very body and blood. Something you would never imagine, but that you receive by faith alone. And your faith is filled up with what it needs. It's filled up with Christ. So that sinners here at this table have more than they could have ever expected. The hope of eternal life with him who is the very bread of life. So Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. And so even amidst Lent, as you wander in the wilderness of this world, you rejoice because you know that your king provides for all your needs of body and soul. And with these things that he provides for you, with these things you are content. Amen.